Well, please stand if you are able in honor of God's word. And we're going to turn to the book of Obadiah in the Old Testament. It can be a little difficult to find. It's very short. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. There it is. Growing up, uh, I think that's all I knew about the book of Obadiah was that it was in the list of books in the Bible, uh, which is one reason why uh, I am preaching on it. And I'm going to be focusing at, at Acacia. I preached on on it for three weeks, but this is going to be the, the final portion of Obadiah verses 15 to 21 that we are looking at this morning. But it's a short book, so I'm going to read the whole thing. And then uh, there's a second uh, section there, the uh, book of Hebrews. I'm going to wait until the end of my sermon uh, to read that, so you can be ready for that. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Give it your full attention. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though you set your, ne- your nest is set among the stars, From there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, how would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain. So all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. 
The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shepherd shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Since the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We do pray this morning that you would uh, pierce our hearts and our minds by your word, through your spirit, uh, that you would give us understanding and insight into your word, and that you would help us to put it into practice and live it out in our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, the book of Obadiah is a warning. That's why it is there. It's a, it's a warning. What images come to your mind when I say warning? Sirens, maybe? Flashing lights? Caution signs? Danger signs? Uh, for me, it's that moment when you suddenly look down at how fast you're going and you see those flashing lights in the mirror while you're driving. And then that occasional sigh of relief when... The police may have mercy, and they just write you a warning instead of a ticket. How should we react to warnings? Uh, They should cause us to change our behavior, to change what we're doing. If there's a warning, we should take heed. Uh, But often they don't, do they? Uh, If you receive a warning enough times, sometimes it can just become background noise. You don't even pay attention to the warning anymore. Uh, for a while, one of my brothers actually kept a record of, of how many times he had gotten away without a ticket. He was not heeding the warnings that he was getting the way that he should have. And uh, the judgment may be coming quickly there if you do that. Maybe you think of that caution sign about the wet uh, floors, the cuidado, caution. Watch out, wet floor, don't slip. Uh, You may notice it, maybe you walk a little bit more carefully, but uh, you probably don't drastically alter the way you walk. You don't cling to the floor and move slowly for fear of falling. But it's, it's an important thing because it's there because people have fallen and become badly hurt. And if you don't recognize the warning, you too could fall. You could become hurt. Well, have you ignored the warning of Obadiah? Have you even heard of the warning in Obadiah? Uh, Many people have not. I know growing up, even in the church, I I don't think I received any teaching on this book. The warning given in Obadiah is one that's given in other places in Scripture as well. It's this, the day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready for it? We've been looking, or 
at Oba, this section of Obadiah, this uh, oracle of judgment is against Edom, uh, particularly a real nation in history uh, that sinned against the Lord and against uh, his people. And God tells of his judgment towards them. And it's to be a picture for everyone of the judgment that is to come. That we might flee the wrath to come, lest we also perish. There's only one place to turn for refuge. Can you guess where it is? It's Jesus. He is the only Savior, the only place of refuge there is from the wrath of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only safe place. Well, this uh, is a a vivid picture here of God's judgment poured out on a sinful nation in time for a particular sin that they committed. But we know that God's righteous judgment rightly comes against every sin that's committed against a holy God. Now, the children's catechism teaches it. Let's see, kids, who knows their kids' catechism? You ready? Here's a question. What does every sin deserve? Do you know? You know? That's right. That's right. God's wrath. The wrath and curse of God. Every sin, every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. The judgment pictured here in Edom, it points ultimately to that last day, that final judgment, the day of the Lord. That's the context which frames these final verses. The day of the Lord, where the Lord of all creation will come and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, the beginning of this, this book, uh, Edom was accused of having a prideful heart that deceived them. They thought that they were wise in their own eyes. They thought that they were safe. They had a fortress. They had the high ground. They were up high in a mountain in the cleft of this rock. Uh, they had the battlements. They felt invulnerable. They were deceived. When Israel was plundered by the nations, their charge with Edom is said to be like one of them. They did not align with God and his people and find refuge in the Lord. Instead, they became like the nations, the enemies of God. Rather, depending upon the promises of God for their inheritance, which God had promised them. And it's for that reason that God's judgment came upon them in time. And rather than keeping their inheritance while Israel went into exile and seemed to lose everything, Edom ends up losing it all. They lost it just like Esau lost his birthright, like Esau lost his inheritance. This is, these are the descendants of Esau and they end up following in his, in their father's footsteps as a nation. Uh, over at Acacia, I just uh, finished preaching on the book of Philippians, and it was it's a book of joy. It's filled with joy in the midst of suffering. And this uh, book of Obadiah, it can seem like, is it in contrast with that joy? Is, it, is this something different? Because this is a book of judgment. Are those things in disharmony? It can, it can feel like a shift. I told 
uh, the people over at my church, it can feel like we're going to a completely different part of the Bible. Is this even the same God? It is. Same God. And, and there are parallels between it because you cannot appreciate the joy that you have in Christ Jesus unless you see the punishment that your sin deserves. Unless you recognize the grace that God has shown you in Christ Jesus. That produces joy, brothers and sisters. Real joy that abounds more and more and more until we see our salvation in Christ Jesus at the day of Christ. For us, it's not a scary day. It's a day of rejoicing. So we'll put uh, look at this in three sections. First, the day of the Lord. Second, the mountain of the Lord. And third, the kingdom of the Lord. And the main point this morning is that in the day of the Lord, for all people and all nations, that means you, if you're here. There are only two outcomes. Escape in the flame of Mount Zion through faith in Jesus Christ, or being consumed in God's just and fiery judgment. Two ways. That's it. Escape in Christ Jesus in the flame of fire, or being consumed by God's just judgment. Well, let's begin by considering first the day of the Lord, verses 15 and 16. Let's reread them together. It says, verse 15, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. With these verses, you get a a bird's-eye view, not only of Obadiah, but of all of human history. It zooms way out. Here's what's coming at the end. Uh, The prophet, until now, has been zoomed on the immediate context of sin that Edom did against God's people, uh, the violence they did to their brother nation Israel. But now now the, the perspective changes. It goes to all nations. And the day of judgment that's coming upon them, it, it zooms out to the larger perspective and it emphasizes the sheer insanity of what Edom did. It was insane. Because the day of the Lord is near, not just upon Edom, but upon everyone, all nations. Their deeds will be turned back upon their own head. They, Edom ends up becoming a picture, a type in the, in the Bible of God's judgment and future judgment to come. Their rebellion against the God of all creation is insanity to begin with. But to make it more insane, it's evil that's done in the face of an already coming penalty that's hurtling towards them. Kids, uh, have your siblings ever pushed you? Someone ever pushed you down? You can, you can say yes or no. It's okay. Yes, yes, it has happened. Sibling has pushed you down. Has it ever happened? And as, as the sibling pushed you down, you saw, uh-oh, mom and dad noticed. They saw the sibling push you down. Well, this would be kind of like shoving a sibling down and, and the siblings laughing and mocking. Uh, all the while, the judgment's coming quickly from the parents. 
If they, they could turn around and see, the, cha- the behavior would, quit, uh, would change quickly, wouldn't it? They got the warning that the judgment was coming. Well, the judgment was coming, and Edom is laughing and mocking at God's people in the face of an oncoming judgment that's coming on all nations. It's kind of like Edom here. They don't see that the judgment is coming quickly. They're laughing at Israel, a fallen and plundered city, which they did real evil here. It says they handed over people to the slaughter. They're laughing. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing with the nations. They think they've chosen the right side. While the judgment is coming, where will they hide? They think they're safe in the cleft of their rock, in their fortress in Mount Edom, but they're not safe. It will not save them from God's judgment. There's only one place to be safe. It's in the salvation God provides in the Lord Jesus Christ, that promised one to come. The Edomites in their celebration, they they may have raised a glass in celebration of the destruction of Jerusalem, of their brother's destruction, but now a very different cup is coming. And there's nothing funny about it. It's a, it's a cup of judgment that's coming for them. The Lord says, as they have drunk on his holy mountain, so all nations will be made to drink continually. Edom has drunk to their own destruction, and they become the warning. Do you heed the warning? In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is described as having tread the winepress of God's wrath, the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, who's holy. And it's from that winepress of wrath that he's going to make the nations drink. That's a scary cup. If you're listening, that's a scary cup. You should sit up a little bit in your seat maybe and take a gulp. The nations will be made to drink continually, it says. Made to drink and swallow. As a result, they will be as though they had never been. Drunk to oblivion. That's some scary poetry there. Scary poetry. If you're a little scared, you're, you're listening correctly. It's scary. It's scary to drink a cup on God's holy mountain. Where, remember in Exodus, you're going through Exodus with Pastor Proctor, where uh, if people even touched the mountain, they had to be killed. It's God's holy mountain. The question for you this morning is, which cup will you drink? Because there are two. Cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. The cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Celebration. Because if you are in Christ, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for you, for your sin. You see the gospel here in Obadiah? You see it? It's right there. It says that some are being saved in Mount Zion. They're being saved from this cup of God's wrath which is to come. You cannot appreciate the magnitude of what God has done for you by setting his love upon you before the foundations of the world in Christ Jesus. 
unless you recognize the cup that he drank to the dregs for you, for your sin, the wrath that every sin that you've committed deserves. Jesus took it for you. He gives you instead a cup of blessing in him. The day of the Lord is not coming just for Edom, but for all nations. It's coming for me and it's coming for you. But in the day of wrath, there will be some that escape. It's the good news that God saves them on this same holy mountain that the nations are made to drink. Some are escaping on that mountain. Now that's good news. Are you, are you getting that? That's a, that's a get out of jail free kind of card there. That is a blessing. That's not just a sigh of relief. Whew, I avoided a traffic ticket. I would have had to pay a little bit of money. Oh, man. This is a gift of grace where God has rescued your eternal destiny. He's changed your eternity. Brings us to our second point, the mountain of the Lord. Verse 17, but in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. The house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. There is a way of escape in Mount Zion on the holiest of mountains. Really? How? How can we escape from a holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin? How? God calls His people to be holy on His holy mountain. They get to have an inheritance rather than lose it. It's an eternal inheritance that they get to receive. They're made into a flame of fire. While with looking with human eyes, it seems like if you were at this situation on the ground at in the time, seems like Edom won. Israel goes into exile. They seem to have lost everything. The temple's destroyed. But Edom has actually lost And Israel has actually won it. It makes me think of another time, a great day of calamity. Remember, there's that echo, the day of calamity. Don't rejoice in the day of calamity. That day of calamity is not the destruction of the temple uh, then or not the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. It's that destruction of the temple, Jesus Christ, the true Israel. The great day of calamity where God's wrath was poured out upon him. Another time in history where everything seemed lost. Jesus was laid in a tomb. He was dead. Uh, I visited recently uh, a house that I guess was designed by uh, the same person who designed Monticello, Jefferson's home. Uh, And in it was a Jefferson Bible. And I opened it up. Jefferson uh, took out all the miracles in Scripture and made a New Testament there, uh, a life of Jesus uh, without the miracles. And you want to know how it ends? ends with Jesus being laid in a tomb. The end. It's the end of the Jefferson Bible. But that's not the end of the story. 
Jesus rose again. He conquered sin and death, and he is reigning now on his throne in heaven. And he guarantees an inheritance for his people. He promises it. Even in exile, God says, this is the reality. You will be aflame. You will not be consumed. While for the house of Esau, there will be nothing. That's that's incredible. It's incredible. There is a way of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ where people are not consumed by a God who's an all-consuming fire. Uh, Isaiah chapter 33, verse 14, asks this question. It says this, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with the everlasting burnings? Here's the answer. Who is it? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. It's Jesus. If you are in him, if you have received salvation in his name, you're not consumed. You can dwell with the God. God makes his dwelling place with you. He gives you his Holy Spirit. Remember how the, the picture at Pentecost of what the, the, of the Holy Spirit coming down? Remember what was on their heads? Anyone remember? Flames of fire. Tongues of fire. The Lord dwelling with his people, but they're not consumed. Uh, verse 22 in the same chapter of Isaiah says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. Law the Lord is our king. He will save us. Our God is a consuming fire who will either be consuming you or will save you through these everlasting burnings where you will dwell in his holy place in a flame of purifying fire. Where are you? You in the flame, being purified, growing in the Lord, turning away from sin, repenting of sin, by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to grow as a Christian, forgiving people in the church when they sin against you? It's hard to do. How can we dwell with a holy God when we're sinful? There's, there's just one way. We need a Savior, one who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. It's, it's Jesus. He's the only one who can save us from God's wrath to come. Remember when Noah and his family were saved from God's wrath, a flood that wiped out the whole of the earth. They were saved in an ark. Jesus is that ark of salvation. He's where we are saved. He's a place where we can withstand the full judgment of God because it's been poured out upon him for you, for those who are in him. And it is that man, Jesus, our great Savior, God, and King, who owns the kingdom that's mentioned in this passage, the thing you're delivered. So final point here, the kingdom of the Lord. Uh, all these names are mentioned. Those, and then Ageb, they'll possess Mount Esau. They possess all of this land. What's going on with all of this land and these delineations? Uh, they're borders, and it's the borders of Israel, and it's, it's even more than the borders of Israel. The kingdom's expanding. It's, 
It's like uh, the kingdom expanded uh, in the time of Solomon. The kingdom was expanding at the height of the kingdom of Israel. Well, this is at a low point in the kingdom of Israel. It seems like everything's lost, like the kingdom's been lost. But it's not. God promises inheritance for his people. It's pointing forward to our inheritance in heaven. Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for us, a kingdom. And we are a part of that even now. We receive blessings from that even now. We uh, are told that we are blessed with every blessing in Christ Jesus. Where? In the heavenly places. We are seated with them, him in heaven. We have received a kingdom, and we are to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. The kingdom we receive is not ours, it's the Lord's. It's His kingdom where He reigns. Uh, that uh, saviors there, that language, it, it harkens back to the book of Judges. Saviors are going to come who are going to deliver God's people. And every time when you see saviors who are delivering God's people in the Bible, it's pointing you to the Savior, the exemplar, Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and Deliverer. He is the one restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. That's how the catechism puts it. That's what Jesus is doing. We've been given a kingdom which is reigned by the Lord, who's ruling even now. He's seated on his throne, and all things are being brought under his feet. We experience those blessings. We experience fruit of the Spirit. As a, as a Christian, if you have ever been patient with someone, if you have ever been gentle and kind to someone, if you've ever been loving, if, you've ever, if you ever have peace in the midst of difficult situations, those things do not come from you. Those are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Joy. If you are in Jesus, he's sanctifying you now. He's remaking you in his image helping you to bear the family resemblance as he's bringing you safely into his kingdom. He's coming again the last day to give us the kingdom in its fullness and glory. We have been definitively justified, adopted, and sanctified, but there's, there's a progressive aspect to our sanctification. We grow. We're not perfect. We sin. We have to repent. We have to change. We have to grow. And it's God who does that in us. Uh, I recently read a good Luther quote because Reformation Day. Uh, y'all were there. Uh, this is the Luther quote describing this dynamic of the Christian life as we seek to grow up into Christ, into maturity. Uh, he says, This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. Where are you? Are you in the flame or are you in the stubble? 
The day of the Lord is at hand already, but not yet. God is withholding his judgment, calling people to come. If you've not come, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't wait till it's too late to repent. He will not turn away any who come to find refuge in him. Come, find refuge. I don't know about you, but the longer I live in this world as people and friends that I have die, as people that I love are sinned against in horrific ways, as I'm sinned against, uh, as I see people I love hurt badly, I get tired of it. I get tired of living in a fallen and broken world. Sad and bad things still happen. They happen every day. I still sin. I have to repent. I have to turn away from it. But there is a day when we will never sin again, where we will see Jesus face to face. It will be scary for some, but for us in Christ, it will be glorious. Every tear wiped away. Every wrong made right. Think of this. No one who has sinned against the Lord and has, is in rebellion at him, against him gets to escape. Justice will be meted out on that day, either in Christ at the cross for all who are his, or Christ will meet it out for eternity on all his and our enemies. Turn. Turn to the Lord. I'd like to read for you to close the uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 18 to 29. This is God's word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain. It shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Jesus is coming. We don't know when. Could be five minutes, 
five hours, five days, 5,000 more years. We don't know. But He is coming, and we pray that His kingdom would come. And that's a good thing. In Him we win. Repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. He has given you a kingdom that cannot be shaken in His name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we often are not joyful or thankful for what we have been given in Christ Jesus. Salvation in His name and a kingdom, a a promise of eternal blessings and inheritance, eternal glory fellowship with You. Father, what a thing to eternally worship You where there are no less days to sing Your praise than when we had first begun. Lord, we long for the day. Come, Lord, quickly. Amen.